0: Welcome to Truth and Reconciliation with Buki This program is inspired by the brutal murder of George Floyd and is rooted on the premise that without candid and uncomfortable conversations on systemic racism in America, we cannot begin the process of healing and resolve. The show also presents the African diaspora perspectives on the transatlantic slave trade and institutionalized racism in America. Today's topic, How Does Cultural Identity Impact Race and Racism in America? My guest is Milton Alamadi. Milton is an adjunct professor of African History at John Jay College of the City University of New York. He publishes New York City-based Black Star News, a Pan-African media outlet, and hosts a news show on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM, every Tuesday at 3 p.m. He's also a frequent guest news analyst on Voice of America. Milton, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So today we're talking about how do you identify and how does this impact your social and professional interactions in America?
1: I identify as African, and I identify as an African in America. And when you're an African-American, have no choice but to be regarded as somebody who is in America of African descent. So, to the degree that people that are referred to as African Americans are victims of institutional racism, you, as an African American, you're affected pretty much the same way. Sometimes there is an attempt to separate Africans in America from African descendants who are descendants of enslavement in order to use the divide and rule technique, which has been mastered by the former colonial and imperial powers and the people that promote white supremacy in most cases, you're still subjected to the same kind of disadvantages that so-called African Americans are subjected to in the United States. So that's how I would respond to the question.
0: Thank you. So Milton, I, I understand that you were born in Uganda, correct? You were born and raised in Uganda.
1: Yeah, I grew up in Uganda, oh. partly in Tanzania, and partly here in the United States.
0: Okay. And the reason I ask that is, growing up in Uganda, did you have any knowledge of racism? At least in, in, in the American context?
1: No, I did not, but I started reading a lot from a very early age, particularly when my family lived in Tanzania. Uh, by the age of 10, I was already reading a lot of books, uh, James Baldwin, for example. Okay. I was going to the American uh, U.S. Information Center, which I think is all over the world, and reading a lot of American publications. So I was very familiar with it at a very young age. Not experiencing it, of course, Wait. having been in Africa, but I was familiar with it.
0: So, at that time, when you were reading books like James Baldwin, you were talking about maybe I'm Not Your Negro, is that one of the books you, that you would be referencing? No, It, like, on,
1: on the Mountain, those the kind of books I was reading at the time. The essays I read much later when I come right.
0: so to the United States. So, when you were reading those books, were you getting the same meaning that you might later on maybe have um, gotten a better, you know... Knowledge of those books, or in, in practicality, in other words, when you were reading those books, w- did you have a full understanding what what they meant, or you were just reading them for it to just get information?
1: No, I mean I had a conceptual, intellectual understanding, but unless until you are called the N word, which I've been called okay. a couple of times since I've been living in the United States, right. and you really feel the full impact. So, there's a difference between the intellectual
0: understanding right. and
1: ex- experiencing it in person.
0: Absolutely. So, do you, can you remember what, I mean, when you first encountered racism? Because my personal experience and some of the people I've encountered and spoken with, when we first arrived here as African immigrants, I mean, even if someone, you know, says something, it's usually like a coded language that later on we are able to understand the meaning of those words but when we first arrived here we wouldn't know you know when someone is talking about if, if they use a you know a coded racist sentence or something so do you remember the first time you know you experienced racism in America
1: well I even though I did read about the conditions in the United States and I read Baldwin, you still come with a sort of a sense of naivete, I mean, from Africa. So you, and it's interesting that you say that, included messages and all that. Because then you realize much later on that you had experiences that you were not conscious of at the time. So for example, when I went to college in surgery. I found that European Americans found no problem befriending me and having conversations with me. Mm -hmm. But they did not seem to approach so-called African Americans the same way. And obviously at the beginning, you don't notice that. It's only much later on when I started reflecting on things like this. That is a form of selection. It's a form of racism as well. But the first encounter that really sunk in was when I was jogging once. I think I was a freshman or maybe a sophomore. And somebody yelled the N-word. And it hits you like a knife in your chest. And it was somebody who was in one of the dormitories that faced the road where I was jogging. And I look up and the person obviously is now hiding. You can't see the person who was uttering these ugly words. Hmm. And it ruined the rest of my day. And then it got me to thinking in a deeper way about racism in this country. Obviously that's what a uh, and intellectual analyst would call petty racism. That's as opposed to the institutional racism that is built in to the economic and political and the social structure in the United States, which is of course much more devastating than individual acts of racism. I would rather deal with the individual acts than the collective institutionalized system because that is much more harmful because it deprives a whole community based on what is embedded in the laws or even if it's under the law it's in the practice in the country and that is what we must fight because that is what you can actually fight i don't care if somebody wants to call me the n-word but does not because if you call me the N-word and if I can see you, Wait. obviously I will I will take action, right? Right. If you do it in the privacy of your home, that's your business. But I don't want the laws that you construct based on your racist attitudes to if, to impact me and affect me. And that is what I will fight. And that is what you can actually fight because you can confront it and make sure that is changed. Wait. In terms of changing your heart, I really don't care. That's your business, as long as it doesn't
0: harm me. Wait, thank you. Do, so, do you think there's a, a a a difference between identifying as black and identifying as African? And if there are, think, what, what 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 are those differences?
1: I think people that make that distinction are making a grave mistake if they think that it will provide them with such, some privileges and advantages. It is a fantasy, because at the end of the day, when when the police shoot and kill Amadou Diallo, they're not distinguishing between an African immigrant and a so-called African-American. When they shoot and kill Osman Zongo, they're not making that kind of distinction as well. So, if you think that you will gain some privileges and advantages by identifying yourself as African and wanting to be distinguished from so called African Americans, you're making a grievous mistake. Number one. Number two, you're also doing a great disservice to African Americans by declaring, because that's, in a, in a way, you're declaring that. You want to make the distinction. I'm not part of your experience. I'm not part of your suffering. So therefore, I'm not obligated to join you in battle against the system. And why do I say you are betraying them? Because African-Americans, so-called African-Americans have made tremendous sacrifices in this country. Not only did they build the wealth that allowed the United States to become an industrial power and now a global superpower. But they also paved the way for all other arrivals for immigrants from Europe, immigrants from Africa, from Asia, from South America. All those immigrants are benefiting from the wealth that is now enjoyed by the United States. And that wealth could not exist without the sacrifice Without the suffering, without the blood, without the lynching, without the massacres, without the burning alive of the descendants of enslaved Africans, who are today referred to as African-Americans. Their forefathers, their ancestors, are the ones that built the wealth that everybody now enjoys in the 21st century, including people that call themselves Africans.
0: That was so eloquent, and thank you so much for for providing that, you know, details. But what I was also uh, getting at is that, and uh, by the way, so with the topic today is how do you identify, how does cultural identity impact race and racism in America? And, And Milton just eloquently, you know, outlined, or not outlined, eloquently explained When you identify as black or you identify as African there's a significant difference and i really just wanted to follow up on that that's that's an explosive you know part of this topic in the sense that what you just explained is it's it's, uh suggesting that when someone identifies as African that they're doing that intentionally to know that they are, are better or they are different. And my experience is somewhat to the contrary. In certain cases, where when people first arrive here and they are identified as African, they don't. And including myself, let, let me just be honest. We don't. I mean, I at that time did not honestly understand what black means. I came here as a Nigerian American. I mean, as a Nigerian. Not, I'm a Nigerian American, but I, I'm a Nigerian. I'm still a Nigerian. So. To say that i did not choose to be african i am african i am nigerian and that to me when someone says black i mean again then now i understand better when someone says black i don't identify as black or did not identify as black because i didn't know what that meant to me black is just a color or red or it could be any you know any any shade of color is how i i i saw black uh, but later on then I You know Started to understand that What black means I to What about how, how do you In that context well, What is your view In that context When someone Is not choosing To be either African or black But they are actually African And they are An African immigrant And as we know and uh, You're You know a professor of history and also African history rather and you're actually in a good position to to really help us understand this better intellectually and break it down that when someone says I'm African or I would say I'm Nigerian American there's a lot that that informs a lot about my identity and my cultural identity and my upbringing and my values and so on are supposed to just say I'm black so can you please speak to that mm-hmm.
1: I'm African with great pride. I say I'm Ugandan with great pride. I say I'm an African in America with great pride. And depending on the context, I say I am black as well with great pride. If I am identifying with resistance against oppression, then of course it, it includes all of those elements. I'm black. I'm African. I'm African and American, and I'm Uganda at the same time. So the key point I wanted to to express was that there are instances when we know of Africans stressing their African identity or Africanness in order to separate themselves from the black experience in this country. And that is what I reject. But in terms of claiming my Africanness, of course, I'm very proud of that. And In fact, I insist that more so-called African Americans should claim that identity as well. They too are, are Africans in America. And part of the problem is that the history of demonization over the centuries and malcolm x spoke very eloquently about this the short short clip on youtube only about five minutes where he says you can't hate the roots of a tree without hating the tree and he speaks to how european media had demonized africa to the extent that so-called african americans did not want to relate to africa And that was done for a purpose, so that they would believe that Africa was so, as he put it, so savage and backward, that they should consider themselves to be in a good position, having been kidnapped from Africa and brought to these United States, regardless of all the suffering endured during the era of enslavement. So that has created that sense of reluctance to embrace Africa. When in fact, Africa is the origin of all humankind. And I recommend people that are not familiar with the works of Professor Chek Anta Diop to read Anta Diop and to also listen to some of his lectures on YouTube. There's an there's one called Interview Anta Diop. It's about fifty-eight minutes and it packs a whole lifetime worth of knowledge that people need to know about human beings originated in Africa. The first remaining, the earliest fossils dating back to four million years of the descendants of what later on became human beings are discovered in Africa. Uh, uh, Sapiens, the earliest remains of sapiens, the closest to us were found in Africa and they date back to 300,000 years. It was only about 40 to 50,000 years ago that human beings left Africa and went to populate all the other parts of the world. And there's scientific evidence to show that. There are no remains that are found in Europe or in Asia or what is now called the United States that date that far back. They don't date that far back, which is proof that human beings originally came from Africa, meaning they were Africans. And as they went to all these other environments over a period of 25 years, thousand to thirty thousand years they adapted their features to conform with the climatic conditions and the environmental conditions and that is why today we have Africans we have Asians we have so called Europeans and so forth but in reality all of us come from the same genetic lineage and once you know this as an African how can you feel any sense of inferiority And once you know this is an African, you want to claim your African origin. And then tell everybody else that, listen, without Africa, there would be nobody else in this world. In other words, had they never migrated out of Africa in the first place, all of us would be Africans. So it's senseless when people talk about white supremacy and white, white superiority over Africans, it's the other way around. If you look at the scientific history and the facts. And this is proven. This is not just speculation. Anybody who's listening to this can go and do their own research, and they'll find that what I'm speaking of is actually factual. And I think part of the problem is that some Europeans are very troubled by that history. The fact that at the end of the day, we all hail from the same monogenetic lineage connected to Africans. And they have been punishing people who are most African-looking, right? Because it's just about a physical appearance. Okay. Genetically, we are all connected. But they are so trying to reject that African origin that they take it out on Africans, they take it out on so-called African-Americans, and they take it out on anybody who is non-so-called European. And that has been part of the problem. So we need to learn that genetic origin and history, and teach it widely. And I think if we do, then younger Europeans would not be victim of the kind of animosity that many of them end up uh, experiencing toward uh, Africans and people of African
0: descent. Right. Thank you so much. So you you're speaking uh, um, about race construction, obviously. So if you, yeah. If we're all genetically connected, but 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 physically, people. You know construct race to to uh sort of uh, show superiority that they're better than you know so that that's that's pretty deep and uh, i'm I'm sure like you just there are so many anecdotes to uh, historical facts to show that you know race is a construct but but also to the beginning of that when we were going to school in uh, africa through the uh, elementary school stages um what what is your experience because mine growing up in the 60s in Nigeria in elementary school is that the there is nothing in the curricula that really informs slavery or let alone racism i had no knowledge of slavery and why why was that the case do you why would do you think that there was some sort of um uh, how do I put it? What role did the African uh, leaders or government at that time and the colonialists—I mean, in, in working in concert with the colonialists—what role did they play to to influence the materials that are in our curriculum that robbed us of the knowledge of slavery? How did you think that happened, and why is it today that in again elementary school materials or any or even maybe maybe at a university level in Africa they might have now, you know? more information or more detailed information on slavery and uh, racism but when i was growing up i mean there wasn't that information was not available and i still have relatives that are going to school today for instance in nigeria and there is still isn't any material on slavery or racism so how are people uh um, how are people uh how are they supposed to know um about slavery, so that when they arrive in European countries, whether it's the United States or, or anywhere in Europe for that matter, they would be conscious of, of, of race?
1: Oh, they're not supposed to know that, and that's the reason why it's like that. And it just shows you the level of de- dependency that uh, most African countries still face in their relations with the former European colonial powers mm-hmm. so perhaps many of them thought this would be upsetting teaching this would be upsetting to the relationships of dependency that they wanted to construct with uh, the former colonial powers who still happen to be uh, colonial powers they're not referred to as colonial powers anymore but they still exert The same level of political and economic control over these uh, former colonies so obviously when you're that dependent you're not only not in charge of your economic destiny your political destiny but also the information that you disseminate and teach to your citizens and that is the most unfortunate part of the neo-colonial relationship that still determines much of the relationship between Africa and the outside world. And now, in fact, with Africa and the United States as well, Africa and China as well, everybody else except Africans benefit from the resources of Africa. And part of that is because Africans are not taught the history that they need to know. Because if they know the full history, they would not tolerate in many countries the kind of governments that now have, because then they would raise these questions, well, if our current condition is largely due to the exploitation, which was exerted by these former colonial powers, who happen to be the same countries that are still exerting exploitation, why do we tolerate this? Why do you have tolerate this or allow this to continue? How do you justify your existence if you find this acceptable? question in most many African countries right. and I'm glad you posed that question because in my classes here at John Jay College at the City University of New York many of our students are, are parents their parents are Africans so these are first generation our second generation young Africans here in the United States now I have students from Ghana from Mali Guinea, from Nigeria, Hmm. and they all come up to me and say, "Professor, why do we not learn this history that you're teaching us back home?" Right. They're amazed because some of them experience some level of education up to high school before their parents bring them back to go to college here in New York, and they're very disappointed by the kind of uh, the curriculum their own countries. They embrace this history. They feel much more empowered. They feel better about themselves, knowing our entire history, because the history is not only the history of enslavement. The history is also resistance against enslavement. It's the history of resistance against colonial rule, and sometimes having spectacular victory, like Samori Ture, for example. Many of them have never heard of Samori Ture, who fought the more than 12 years quite successfully until he was finally captured many of them don't know the fact that the Ethiopians defeated an Italian invading army in 1896 at the Battle of Adwa when the the Queen the Emperor And in fact, Africa has many victories, and Africa has many great empires, like uh, Ghana Empire, not the current uh, modern Ghana, but the great Ghana Empire uh, from the 5th century to the 17th century. The Mali Empire, Songhai, the Yoruba Empire with Oyo and Ife, the Benin Empire. Once they learn all this, they feel so much empowered and better about themselves. I don't understand for a minute African governments would not want to teach this in Africa, mm. so that their their students, once they enter into the world, they come with a level of self confidence about themselves, and they have high expectations for themselves, and they can even achieve a lot more. So that's how I would respond to that question. Absolute,
0: to absolutely. Thank you. And that's why you're a professor and I'm not. So, you see, once people have a a grounded understanding, a better understanding of who they are. We talk about cultural identity and this is really important. When I said that question about how this cultural identity you know, impacts your interactions in America and it's really troublesome that African students will come from Africa to universities here to begin to learn about this historical fact about slavery.
1: Imagine the irony. Imagine. Imagine if they have the healthy that is. But well, that is true. That is true. Right. I can invite you to, well, we have to go back once we return to so-called right. when we actually have physical classes, I will invite you toward the end of the semester right. so that you can actually meet and hear from some of these students themselves, and you will be so shocked.
0: And, and and that continues to happen today and especially the divide and conquer you know context right that the better we know about our history the better we can relate to our brothers and sisters African Americans right and the better we can identify yeah the better we can identify culturally uh, because again the, the race construct the black as a race construct is' also you know on purpose it's intentional. Yeah, to, to take away from that cultural knowledge, to take away from the self empowerment, self knowledge, and yes. it, it, yeah. Yes. So and that's why, as we think talk about, about, think about it, right? I
1: mean, I mean, if, if, if people of the Jewish faith, they are not, uh, they don't reject Israel, they embrace. it right. They help empower Israel. Right. So can you imagine if if African, so-called African Americans, have that same kind of knowledge race Africa in the same way and then bring that uh, uh, financial capital that African Americans have in this country and combine that with the resources that Africa has that is a phenomenal combination and the power structure is aware of that right. goes out of that its way to make sure that that never happens and Malcolm X was aware of that that's why Malcolm Started to make to make inroads in Africa. I've been reading a lot of his uh, for his diary, his letters, his private collection. I just made uh, copies about four boxes worth of copies about four years ago at the Chambre. Right. And now that everybody's uh, in self confinement, I have time to read through it now. And he appreciated Africa. In fact, Malcolm attended the second Organization of African Unity meeting in Cairo in 1964. And met many of these African leaders, and it was emphasizing to them the importance of having a strong relationship between African Americans and between Africans as, as a beneficial, as mutually beneficial for uh, African Americans as well as for Africans at the same time.
0: Absolutely. And- Imagine someone, you know, like yourself, and I'm sure there's so many professors of African history that are from Africa or African descent that have a wealth of this knowledge, especially academic materials that you're speaking from. Imagine people like you teaching you know, at universities in Africa. You know, why do these students have to come to America to yeah. to get this knowledge? I am of the, uh, you know, view that if this knowledge or this level of education is available in Africa, it would even right. help build a better Africa, right? I agree with you. Right, with you. right. so is, is this still part of these factual, not conspiracy, theory that African university, the, in other words, the, the uh, how do I put it? the materials that are in the curriculums throughout our education system in Africa is still deliberately uh, influenced by foreign, by, I mean, yeah, by, by colonial powers, if you will, you know. In other words, why aren't these material that you are reading, that you are teaching from, why aren't they readily available in Af- at African universities? And why can not professors like yourself teach those universities to further empower the students. And some of this material should actually find their way into the curricula earlier on, like in elementary school. Wouldn't you agree with
1: that? i agree with you 100%. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I recently launched what I call the uh, African History Club. Uh, It's uh, on on Patreon, in fact. It's Patreon slash African History Club. And I'm trying to disseminate this kind of knowledge. And I agree with you I would rather be teaching in an African university right now. Obviously, it's for political reasons that I cannot be teaching in Uganda. But I still agree with you. I should make other right. efforts to even teach in other African countries. I would be very willing to do that. Right. And now
0: with the online platform, right. uh, in fact, I get
1: students from Uganda who are very eager for me to share some of this knowledge.
0: Across Africa, right?
1: And you also ask the question in terms of the former colonial power. As you know, particularly in the former French colonies, France had something called Allianz Francais, right? Right. Which was deliberately set up and people that want to know more about this can read Walter Rodney and he writes about this. The French set that up deliberately so that even after they left, intellectually, the Africans in the former French colonies would be psychologically and mentally still tied to French Empire. And that system has been very effective. As you know, many of the Africans from the former West colonies are some of the most, and I hate to say this, but I say this with love because I I wanted to change. But many of them are the most intellectually still colonized and still connected. In that intellectual level, to the former empire, the French empire. And that's why France has been able to dominate their politics and their economics for such a long time. Even though I see that it's changing now, it's a big movement. In fact, now even the currency system is being changed. And I hope it continues, and that Africans in the former French colonies and in all the other former colonies become much more independent and empowered, and end up creating a new Africa that benefits that uses Africa's resources to create wealth in Africa and not for the rest of the world.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Milton. And, and now that we have a global platform with you know, Zumo you know, an internet. the internet. Education also has to be global. The quality of education also has to be global. They they, not, they cannot continue to be these uh, uh, inequity in education. We have the global platform and we have so many well-informed African professors that can really teach and speak truth to power and you're one of those people. I, I really appreciate your time. I know you have to run and I would love to have you back to continue this conversation. Uh, this has I been to san Reconciliation with Bookie Shanunga and my guest has been Milton Ali. Maddie, thank you so much Milton thank you so much okay see you next time